0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Devon Hour. Y'all already know how I do. Before we get into this week's episode, I got some words to speak, okay? <laughs> it is literally 14 minutes before I'm supposed to upload this episode, and I decided to make the executive decision to split this episode into two different parts. So I don't believe that I would be doing this conversation between me and Torian any justice if I just uploaded it, just the whole entire thing. First part that you're going to listen to today is the interview I did with him about him and his upbringing. And we also get into other topics as well. And the second part is going to be about Black Lives Matter and navigating through Black Lives Matter being a queer individual. So I'm very excited for everyone to listen to both of these parts. Torian is an amazing person, someone who I definitely look up to, somebody who I aspire to be. Definitely, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you've been enjoying me having my friends on the podcast. So thank you so much for all the support. And yeah, hopefully you enjoy this episode. Now, let's get into it. Is that checkers in your cup? Is that checkers? It cup? Is. Oh it is you, a checkers cup. You intellect. <laughs> only the real only the real ones really know about checkers. Oh, checkers is the shit. Checkers is it. It's where it's at. Absolutely.
1: Their fries are amazing.
0: The burgers this are it.
1: Is this bur- this um, lemonade I got is amazing. Is it Getting like in all the right spots?
0: Is it just a regular lemonade or is it like a slushy lemonade?
1: No, 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 it's a regular lemon, uh, Minute Maid lemonade.
0: Ooh. Cuz if you get the slushy ones, you throw some Hennessy up in that bitch.
1: I'm not a Hennessy kind of person, but I mean if it works for you. <laughs>
0: you don't do Hennessy. Are you dark or light? No.
1: I so I'm a I'm a, a dark. I'm a whiskey man. I love whiskey. Love whiskey. Honey Jack. Ooh. Straight, uh, that's my go-to.
0: Your age got showing. The,
1: I, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Got I'm whiskey. more than okay with that.
0: Whiskey's cute. Um, I do enjoy a nice honey jack as well, on the occasion, <laughs> depending on the function, of course. Yeah, um, and
1: it's, you can you can have it straight. You can add it. You can have it with lemonade. You can have it with ginger beer. You can have it with ginger ale. You know, it's so versatile.
0: Okay? We love Versatile.
1: Speak for yourself. I'm just we <laughs> We starting early. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we're recording. All right. <laughs>
0: Oh Whee! shit, this is gonna be the funniest shit to edit, I swear. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Devin Hour. I'm your host, Devin. Thank you for taking an hour out of your day to listen to my bullshit. Okay, <laughs> welcome. To the debit hour so today we have a very very special guest um today we have someone who is intelligent eloquent and very active in the lgbtq community working as a life coach and hiv prevention educator and host of the catch my bag uh black and gay podcast someone who i admire mr torian Welcome to the Devin Hour. What's
1: up? Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I uh, appreciate the invitation.
0: Um, All of that information came from your LinkedIn. Shout out to LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I need to update her. (laughs) But your LinkedIn is fire. Like, you have everything, like, intact. I need to get on your level. Like, it's so good.
1: You know, thank you. Um, It took a lot of uh, work to get it there. Um, but you know, yeah. Listen, you you got to market yourself in every possible platform you can. So, you know, yeah.
0: If you brilliant. need some help? Let me know. I got you. Oh please! Oh my gosh, I'm in need. <laughs> let me tell you one thing: college did not <laughs> teach was how to <laughs> was how to perfect that LinkedIn account. Okay, they always tell okay. you they tell you that you need one, but they don't tell you how right. to keep it updated, how it should look. They don't have any. They didn't give me any of that information.
1: Half the time, that's because they don't know. But we ain't gonna talk about that. We ain't gonna bring that up.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into school. I just had. I've been dragging my school for like the past month.
1: I saw. I saw you going in on a uh, RSS at King.
0: Yes, Torian. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. whole entire situation.
1: Listen, and you know I'm here for the fuck shit. I'm here <laughs> for it shake the table, flip the table over, I'm here for it. Yeah, but I celebrate it and I absolutely affirm it.
0: Yeah, but that situation was so wild. Like it started at the end of October all the way until January, all the way into the new year. So me and my, uh, uh, my partner, we were like going back and forth with this nonsense about this gay ass bulletin board for <laughs> legit months. And it was like the first time my school had seen something queer. Um right. That represents that's being represented by an RA. So it was oh my god, it was hell. And just for one of our advisors to be a fucking queen himself like
1: listen, you know, sometimes <laughs> I, I say this and I say this with love. Um, you know, not all skin folk are kinfolk.
0: Okay. It's the same yeah. way
1: with, you know, sexuality and identity. Not everybody who walks around representing one of the, your letters yeah. don't mean that they are in with the fight, okay? I, right. just saw, I, uh, I saw an older black man earlier today the day with a Trump uh, 2020 shirt on, and I, it blew my mind. I said, oh, we doing that on this good old Juneteenth. Got it.
0: In nork
1: <laughs> Got it. in. Well, it wasn't in nork It was in Kearney, but
0: oh, close enough. No. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was in the car with my mom, and I was like, really, though? That's what we're doing on this good Juneteenth?
0: Listen, Hudson All County, right. Hudson County outside of Jersey City is just coon land, so <laughs> I avoid. But today I really, want to, I really wanted to bring you on to discuss topics within the Black Lives Matter movement and also how that <laughs> also plays a part within the LGBTQ community because I do feel like our existence as LGBTQ plus members are being downplayed when it comes to Black Lives Matter. So definitely I want to bring that up, but first I want to get into you and uh your experience and you know just for people to get to know you because um I didn't tell you this when I was a guest on the on the podcast, but how okay. I found you was through GLAD.
1: Oh, okay, through that um campaign that they did.
0: Yeah, so I saw them post you and I was like, who who's that? First I was like, Oh, that's a <laughs> snack. Okay, who let me just go okay. ahead, let me it's go ahead and it's a whole meal over there,
1: okay? <laughs> a <laughs> whole mill, six five mil over this side of
0: town and i was like let me go see what this one's about but then i saw that you did so much work and then i started to do some research and i was amazed because you have done a lot within the past couple of years at least even you started your own llc period see you hear that
1: <laughs> llc
0: I did. Yes. Thank you. So what initially made you like become so active within the community?
1: If I'm being honest and transparent, um, (laughs) I didn't always see myself as a queer person. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my, my star, my story is not much different than other individuals who struggled with their sexuality and made decisions based off of their perception of what the community was out in, you know, in society. Um, chose to not deal with or to just kind of separate themselves from it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and so I was living in Atlanta um, and I Atlanta is like a place that I love that's like my second first home
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and you know that's really where I learned to accept Torian to know Torian to discover Torian Um, And then to really leap into being Torian authentically and unapologetically. And so when I was moving back in um, to Jersey from uh, in 2010, um, I was looking for a job and literally got a job um, working in the HIV world um, Mm -hmm. only as an office manager. But, you know, I would hear meetings, I would sit in meetings and I started to hear how the virus was impacting black queer people and I said, I need to do something. I want to do something more direct dealing with the community and working with the community. And so maybe about nine months after that, um, I decided, um, I got a job and it literally has been that way since then, you know, mm-hmm. um, when I look back over my life, I think certain experiences in my life groomed me for this kind of a work. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I, it may seem like cap and stance or by chance, but I really believe that I would, you know, you know, this is a calling. Like everybody is not able to do this kind of a right. this kind of community work. Um, and so, you know, I'm I'm grateful. It's it's been a long ride. It, it definitely has its ups and its downs, especially when you are really about the community and it's not about you. Yeah. Um. You know, it can be very taxing, especially when again when you have all of these identities and all of these intersections. Right. Right. Um. And on every level of your intersection, um, there's some kind of resistance or there's some kind of force that is trying to prevent you from being who you are authentically. And so I just, you know, my thing is just to up, uplift and up and um, and build up my community, which is why I started my LLC, uh, Mountain Wings Group, um, just wanting to give back to my community and help my community see themselves, rediscover themselves, and believe in themselves and take a leap you know, and so that they can ultimately start soaring and all of who they are authentically and be their best selves, most authentic selves.
0: Yeah, and what's really good is, like, since you are this voice and you, and it's a lot of braveness that that goes into, like, being that voice and being visible, you know what I mean? And being active. So how do you kind of, like, how do you deal with, do you feel like you have, like, the community on your back a lot of the times? Like, do you, like, feel the weight of it a lot?
1: of course of course you know but i always say that's why god made me with these broad shoulders it made me six five so that i (laughs) can handle the weight of all of this
0: yeah
1: (laughs) um but yeah it definitely you know is a weight that we carry um but i try my best to not carry it alone um Mm -hmm. and so you know i share it with those other individuals who are fighting this fight i share it with the community members who haven't learned their voice and don't have the space to, to lend their own voice. And so I carry it with them in, in many different ways. And so, yeah. you know, it, but it, it definitely is. Um, it is definitely taxing. It, it's, it's taxing.
0: Especially when you start witnessing what's going on with other communities that are less privileged than who you are. Like when we start talking about the trans community and their struggles right. and it's so, yeah. it's, it really does weigh on you because, you know, as members, we understand what it's like to be oppressed and how to what it feels like to be put down for who we are, so just seeing somebody within our community just put be put down even more right it it really is it really does hurt a lot to like witness that, but being brave enough to be that voice um i think also kind of uh counteracts that that scariness yeah. of it
1: yeah, but, I mean, to your point is it's definitely you know i which is why I always find myself getting angry when I think about. Um, oppressed people become becoming oppressors right Yes. and that really bugs the fuck out of me (laughs) Um, because I'm like you know what it's like to be be oppressed and I get the the mentality of like you know now that I somehow got some freedom and I'm not as quote-unquote bad off as someone else that now I'm gonna flex my muscle a little bit and you know, I try to get some kind of a power in some way. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's not beneficial to the community. That's not beneficial to us as a people. And so whenever I see, um, injustices, I feel obligated, you know, and it's not always easy. You know, sometimes it does put me in a position where, um, I can lose something or I can miss something, you know, or make, bring me, uh, make me vulnerable in a certain space. But, um for me i always think about what is the bigger goal here like you know what is the what is the thing that needs to happen in this moment i'm a very spiritual person and so for me i feel like when i'm in these spaces you know i can't i can't just toss it and just sit there and and be a me person you know what i mean i have to stand up for my community i have to stand up for the voiceless um because that's what that's the space that I've been called
0: to. Yeah. And in a perfect world, everybody's like that. You know what I mean? Like everybody would, would like take their experiences that they have felt like yeah. being oppressed and use that as a way to assist others. Cause they know what it feels like. But unfortunately right. we don't live in that, in that perfect world. And we still have yeah. queer men, gay men, gay cisgender men who are putting down and oppressing uh, trans women, or even just yeah. feminine gay men. Like, it's okay. It's really, it's really nutty out here. And I just can't understand yeah. it. I honestly, I just blame everything on white supremacy. That's what, that's what all boils down to me. <laughs> I just blame everything on white supremacy because like, yeah. everybody who has some type of a leverage always wants to try to reach that top of this social hierarchy. But at the end of the day, it really shouldn't have to be like that. We should be wanting to work with each other, and uplift others instead of just doing this for selfish reasons
1: right i think i share in that that blaming it on white supremacy blame it on a white man a white man did everything
0: <laughs> <laughs> for real i blame everything on them right. um, my foot is never off their necks okay okay never
1: and it should and it should never come off until there's <laughs> equity for all okay?
0: okay and then that's our declaration of independence <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> right. so what made you want to like focus on um hiv prevention and education
1: so again, I think that was just what I was called to, um, you know, I think when I, again, as I stated earlier, you know, when I think about my life um, and experiences I had, it always, it, it, it prepared me for working in the field and HIV specifically. Um, back in 2007 um, for uh, World AIDS Day, mm-hmm. I was on 106 in Park um, getting an HIV test done on live television. Um, and, you know, you can dismiss that as like, it's easy to dismiss that as like, oh, you know, just, you just got the opportunity to do that. And it's like, yeah, but I also believe that that was, that was laying the foundation for me being comfortable, even being associated with HIV. Right. Right. Um, you know, we're talking about back at a time when it, it it was better, you know, to have a conversation, but there was still and is still stigma around HIV, especially around black queer men and around um, the black community as a whole. Right. And so, you know, I think it just it was just one of those things. And, you know, I, I remember being, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Morehouse College for um, a male sexual health um, you know, uh, conference and I was there for a whole week, um, learning about male sexual health. And so again, these little things that, you know, again, by themselves, just seem like really, um, great opportunities for somebody like me, who's come from the, 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 the the good, the ghetto, the hood from, of North New Jersey, the projects, okay, back to terrorists. Um, and so, Like listen, shout out to backxters! They made me who I am, a part of it, you know, yeah. um, but those experiences, when you look at all of them combined and collectively, it really created the space for me to do this work the way that I do this work,
0: yeah, you said that like you really didn't come into yourself until like later in life, right so right. what was so what was little Torian like
1: <laughs> Oh my God, little Torian was um rambunctious. Lutertorian was inquisitive. Lutertorian was um, a clown. I was a plaything. (laughs) I was. um, I was boisterous. You know, I I can remember times where my mother would like, we would be walking down the street and I would point something out and I would observe something and my mama would be like, "Boy, shut up, shut your mouth, right? (laughs) Um, Because in my brain, it it wasn't anything disrespectful, but, you know, it was, you know, I could... (laughs) I remember, you know, one ex- instance where a friend of ours lived in the same building, and we were going to school. It was early in the morning. Okay, we were going to school, and they came out, you know, wrinkled clothes, and I was just like, "Where would you get your clothes from? Was it in the dirty clothes?" And my mom looked at me like, "Shut up, boy! Shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's just who I was. I was always that person, you know. Um, and then as I got I got older, you know, I had to I had to learn that everything whether you observe it or not, everything is not proper for every space, right? So I had Mm -hmm. to learn how to um, monitor my mouth and monitor my thoughts. Um, Not that I can't have them, not that I can't be observant, but that, you know, everything ain't meant to be public. You know, some things you pull somebody to the side, I'm like, hey, yo, you know, you need something, you need need this, so I had to learn that. But as a kid, I was, oh my God, I was, yeah. Um, but I also was a mama's boy and I'm still a mama's boy. You know, um, <laughs> I also, I also was a bit uncertain. I I also was a bit, you know, shy and a bit reserved. And, and most people now wouldn't believe that I'm a shy person because mm-hmm. I'm all I've done all of these things. And I, I've done a lot of public speaking and, you know, but it's like, um, I always say that I'm an, ext- an introvert with extroverted tendency.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. And it takes
1: a lot of energy for me to be extroverted. And so like when I'm done being extroverted, I'm like, I don't want to do nothing but lay in my bed, watch television, watch Netflix, listen to some music and chill. You know? Um, but yeah, it's oh, I, it's funny, I was just looking at a picture earlier um of when we graduated when I graduated preschool. And it brought back so many memories, and I'm just like, Oh, I miss him. Where did he go? Come back. <laughs>
0: how did um your when how did your sexuality play a part in your uh in your upbringing like was it like a back was it in the back of your head like how was that for you so
1: so i don't believe that um and this is honesty i didn't mm-hmm. i didn't really think about sexuality when i was a kid yeah um I didn't know that I was queer as a kid um and so you know, I happened to be—I was molested as a kid, um, at the age of seven until I was nine years old. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, there are times where I've been asked, like, you know, when did you know you were gay? And I was like, I have no idea, you know, yeah. and I don't know whether, whether I had thoughts of, uh, of looking at, you know, guys when I was before the, before it happened because I was so young. Um, I do recall that once it happened that I did start looking at guys. Um, but even still, I didn't associated with identity i thought that maybe it was just you know um i don't know just like something because i had been molested that now is just like something as a result of that right Right. so I, i never really made i never connected the dots it wasn't until i became i got into high school um when i started to like lash out and kind of you know start looking at life and how, um, the world around me was looking I just wasn't happy with a lot of things that I really sat down. I was like, okay, I need to start dealing with this. Cause I started feeling angry. And I started feeling the person that I knew began to morph and change into somebody that I wasn't very happy with. And I didn't want that person to be my reality. Right. And so I made a decision to go and heal those broken places, um, so that I can be my, um, heal the most authentic self
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing that um but i feel like there is for a lot of people who do figure themselves out at a younger age i feel like in a sense there's a a little bit of a privilege that comes with that because you kind of you get to like deal with that a lot longer than people who kind of find out who they are a little bit later in life like for me i didn't figure out i was gay or queer until i was um like 11 or 12 like that's very early on you know and then i got to learn and kind of go through the the, the struggle and the troubles or whatever until i got to high school and i was like well fuck it this is who i am <laughs> and yeah that's what it was so that that's my little bit of privilege that i have that i get to figure myself out early on in comparison to others who just don't know until later
1: definitely I you know i think there's a double-edged sword to um being younger when you realize that there's a difference in your identity yeah um as well as there's a double-edged sword when you wait a little bit longer or later, I should say, before you start, you know, learning about your orientation and identity. Um, I went to All Boys High School and um, I did. Did you go to St. Ben's? I did. Class of 2004. Whoop, whoop, Bula, Bula.
0: Shout Uh, out to St. Ben's, Uh, Ben's, darling.
1: Yes, guarded in gray. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, and so, of course, when you're dealing with you know when you're in an all-boys school of course you're going to come across you know queer people and I remember being angry because of course you know people would um, say that they find me attractive or they would say that I was gay and at that time because I wasn't comfortable with having that conversation and I still was unclear for myself Mm -hmm. um, I would lash out you know I would like be ready to fight I would be like cursing folk out and like and taking it to an elevated state when I realized that it had nothing to do with them. It just was about me. Right. And so I honestly didn't come into myself. My very first boyfriend happened in 2007, um, July, 2007. And so, you know, and at that time I was 20. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, it it happened later. And then a year later in 2008, I moved to Atlanta because I realized that, you know, when you're from Jersey or wherever you're from, you know, as a queer person, I didn't feel like I could explore without the fear of, am I gonna get caught? Is somebody gonna, you know, catch me? Is, you know, am I gonna run into somebody? Or like, so that played into my my mind. And so I would like wait <laughs> till like one, two o'clock in the morning I would go <laughs> and, you know, do what I needed to do or, you know, hang out with people or whatever. Um, until I moved to Atlanta. When I moved to Atlanta, I was like, whoa! Like, (laughs) I was free yourself. And um, I really began to explore and do it without fear of being caught and a fear of like, people would not accept me. Um, I I got the ability to just be and freely be. Um, And yeah, I told my family, September 1st, 2008. Ooh, Dorian! I know, I was, I was, I literally just turned 22. Wow.
0: Well, shout out to you for surviving Atlanta. Okay.
1: Okay. I love that place. (laughs) I love that place.
0: I have yet to go to Atlanta.
1: Don't say that in public again.
0: Oh, why? What happened?
1: Why would you not go to Atlanta? Like, that is the mecca (laughs) of black queerness. Like, that is the mecca. That is the utopia for black queers. I need to go yeah you, you do yeah you need to make that happen
0: i went Absolutely. with like the last time i went to like atlanta i went. I was in college park so it really wasn't like atlanta but yeah
1: you know it's definitely not the same um but yeah <laughs> you definitely have to explore and you know and i for as much um flack that atlanta gets yeah. um for me it's such a beautiful city it's such a you know, I love that it's the city, and you know it's the city, but you also it has this country feel. Like when you down there, it's the city, but you know you're in the south. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The food is amazing. That drinks are amazing. The men are beautiful. Um, you know, it's just it's just a different. Atlanta always has a place in my heart, and I think one of those reasons is because I really dis- rediscovered Torian in right. Atlanta. You know, I, I got to. Own who Torian was because of Atlanta.
0: There's that real sentimental value for Atlanta for absolutely, you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Hopefully, absolutely. I could go discover myself and um. <laughs> <laughs> how did you like learn to really fully like love yourself, or is that still like something that you're working towards every day?
1: Um, that that is definitely a daily uh, struggle, and I mm-hmm. struggle, but that's a daily task, you know. Um, I've said earlier that I'm very spiritual and, and I believe that it's like a yes, every morning you, you have to wake up every morning with like, I need to love me. You know, every morning is a, a, a choice that you have to make a decision that you have to make to love you. Um, and so for me, I made the decision that once I realized that. This is who I am. I can't change it no matter how many times I prayed about it, no matter how many times I tried to stop doing it, no matter how many times I stopped thinking, trying to think about it. And, you know, dating women and being in love with women, um, to me, there just was this pull to the same gender. And so once I recognized that and I accepted that and I had conversations with the people, the closest people that I loved and I, Mm -hmm. I said it out loud um and they began to accept me because I began to accept myself unapologetically yeah um I was like child who gives a shit about what anybody else say. Eh? once once mama and grandma was like oh we good like you good we love you and I was like fuck the rest of y'all I don't give a shit about who as... y'all are no, that's... Y'all,
0: listen mama and grandma
1: good with it oh I'm a, I'm all right.
0: <laughs> that's real. That's real. For me yeah. it wasn't like uh it wasn't like a conversation I had with like my parents or any family. Mm-hmm. Um because I've always I was always such like a so head on with things like I was like I'm not going to explain myself because I don't have to. Like that was me what? all the time. <laughs>
1: Growing up, and and you and understand that is a blessing, right? That's a yeah. blessing because oftentimes we as Black creatives feel like, especially Black people as a whole, we often feel like we have to explain ourselves. You know, yeah, yeah. we have to explain why we feel, look, exist, all of these stuff, and it's like we ain't got to do shit. We exist because we are, we exist, and that's just it. Exactly,
0: like period. After all these, after all, a lot of years with me, with like dealing with bullying and dealing with a bunch of homophobia growing up. When I got into high school, I was like, I ain't got to explain shit to nobody. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And like you said, it is a blessing. And it's also like this this inner strength, like the survivor mode in yeah. a little bit kind of comes out. Because I was yeah. like, well, I, I don't know how my parents might feel about this, but I could care less. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be one of those people who went through life not necessarily knowing or living their true selves, you know? Right. So right. like. That was one thing, and I was just like, yo, fuck it at this point. And they didn't find out, or I guess they never really told me, like, when they found out or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I started uploading the podcast, and I was just so, uh, a couple years back, my freshman year of college, and I was just so open with everything, and I got a call from my dad, and he was just like, I love your podcast. And I was like, period. And I said, that's it. Period. And we're going to leave it right
1: right there. (laughs) Right there. Don't have no conversation. We don't need to have no conversation. Yeah. We're good now
0: and my mom has <laughs> always been and my mom has been such a big supporter of uh of the podcast and stuff too and um nice so yeah i guess that's definitely like a, a privilege that, another privilege that i have within myself having parents who yeah. you know don't necessarily question and they were yeah. just like well it is what it is and just keep it pushing right. so yeah and i think it's also
1: important i don't think parents really truly understand the gravity of the support that is given to a queer person, a yeah. queer kid. Like, w- we know that it's it's important for our parents to love us and to support us. But there's a different, there's a different um, kind of like, uh, there's a different strength that comes for queer people when their parents support them and they, they, they're able to own who they are. Right, um, yeah. You know, especially because our parents are the first people that we expect to love us. So if our parents don't love us, you know, what does that set the stage for us as we're trying to date, How when we're trying to have friendships and make connections like that, you know, so I don't think that parents truly understand the gravity of their support when it comes to queer people.
0: Yeah, and I feel like when you do have that type of relationship with your parents, it kind of becomes a little bit more intimate because the whole world is against you for your existence, being black and queer. But when you have your parents behind you, it's like, yeah. that's, that's, like that's a feeling like no other. Like, you feel unstoppable. Right, you I know? can take over the world. Yeah, you can take over the goddamn world. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to the parents who support their queer kids, okay? Absolutely, shout out to the parents, okay? <laughs>
1: And we're hopeful for the parents who aren't and who don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, I understand that it is a journey. You know, parents come in with a mindset of expectations for what they want for their children. Never understanding that, you know, as humans, we have to walk our own path. And that may be different than our parents expect of us. And it doesn't mean that either one of you are wrong. It just means that you are who you are. And so just exist in that. Be that. And your parents will come. They will find their way. I, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how long it will last, how long it will take, but what I can say is that the parent, your parents, will come. They will come along for the ride.
0: For real. Um. So yeah. you started your LLC, the Mounted Wings Group. Yes. So how yes. did that come? How did that start?
1: Oh, so um, I uh, when I so oh my God, this was years. I had I told <laughs> you guys, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. And um, when I started dealing with, you know, my uh, sexual orientation and specifically when I started dealing with the trauma connected to the sexual abuse. Yeah. um, I said to myself, I want to be an outlet or a space for people so that they don't ever feel like they had to deal with that alone. Right. Because I had to navigate that by myself. Mm -hmm. Right. I had to I had to navigate that for a really long time by myself before I decided to go see help and go to a therapist. Um, And so I said to myself, I want to create the space for other black men, um, especially black queer men um, who've been sexually abused and for, and so I wanted to be a nonprofit and I was sitting one day in my my room and I was thinking about what would I call it? What will I call it? And Um, I thought about the scripture that says um, even youth grow tired and weary, even young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in God, they will mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Mm -hmm. And in my brain, it was like perfect. That was it. Um, And so I, you know, I started to think of a nonprofit and started to formulate a nonprofit. And then um, as time went on, and this was maybe about early 2000s. Um, As time went on, I started to drift that and say, you know what, I want to do life coaching. I want to do, you know, something where I'm dealing with people, right, Mm -hmm. in a different way than what a nonprofit would put me to. Yeah. And so I, uh, that's what I did. I I started it um, in October of 2018, and it's really just centered around um, providing coaching, life coaching. Um, spiritual coaching, as well as providing uh, consulting for individuals who may be providing services to queer people. Yeah. Um. And, and need to figure out like how best do I engage, um, enroll, and retain, um. You know, queer people into the space, specifically Black queer people. Um, yeah. That's really my my work is with Black um, and Latinx queer people.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I absolutely love that. So how did it feel when you got featured on Glad? Like that's massive. Oh. That's that's major.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was like, you know, there 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 are several points in my life that I am forever grateful for and that I've always like will keep near to me and that that was that's one of them. You know, I and then not only to just be featured on Glad, but to be, you know, connected Um, to someone like Bayard Rustin.
0: Right, yeah.
1: To me, that was like, wow, like this is how my community sees me? Like a a Bayard Rustin? Um, And so that was just a, it was like, it was so reassuring to me that's like, you know what, Torian, yes, you are doing the work. Um, And there was many times that I felt like the work that I was doing was being unnoticed and that it was falling on deaf ears or it wasn't being recognized um and i had to take a step back and it was like you know i remember thinking about that and you know it was just like a light bulb this was like your time will come you know your time will come and so having those moments like a glad it was just like oh my god it was so you know great and then to share that experience with individuals like you know guy anthony and you know twiggy garcon and like all of these other artists who in their own right are doing amazing
0: great yep. things
1: um within the community for queer people i was just like oh my god like this is amazing um I, it was i was it was so uh so surreal so surreal shout out to they sean usher from moby and glad um who put it all together and uh and thought enough of me to bring me into that space
0: yeah that's awesome Glad yeah. is Glad is an amazing 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 organization. So like yeah. that that must be like so reassuring to know like oh god my work is really paying off and also like people are listening which is yeah. like the biggest thing like people are actually yeah. listening to what you have to say and and they yeah. are witnessing and noticing the work that you're doing. So that's absolutely yeah. amazing. I was I'm so happy for you. Um Thank even you. your podcast, it's, right? Your podcast is also getting recognized yeah. as well. Like that's... that's another thing that's like <laughs> surreal. Like,
1: <laughs> you know, that is being, you know, we had, um, if you listen to the last episode, we had Samson on. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to hear him talk about how, you know, he and um, Noah are like, l- are fans of the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, what? We're fans of y'all. Like, what are you talking about? You know, so it was, it's surreal. And it's really good when you have, that camaraderie within the queer community Yes. Yes. Um, to know that we all can make it like we all can have this space to be great and to share our thoughts and share our experiences because while some experiences are common within our community how we experience them how we live through them, how we, what we become because of those things are all very different and individual to us. And so, you know, we all have the space to, sh- to do a podcast or to write a book or to, you know, write a play. It's, it's enough for us to all be great. We don't have to do this crab in a barrel kind of mentality of like, no, I can't, I don't want to support you. I got to pull you down and, you know, we ain't got to do that. We can all be great because we're yeah, all
0: great. We're we, all great. We work better in numbers. We work better Absolutely. together. And Absolutely. so that's always something I'm stressing to other content creators and just our just people within our community within itself like we work better in numbers so we need to right. help elevate each other and like how we said before it's nothing like having that backing like there's nothing like having that support especially when it's from your people whether that's right. family whether that's uh, the community in itself just having that backing just really help really makes you want to like propel forward and just yeah. bring more people along too so they could also feel the love and feel that support so, yeah, that's awesome. So happy for you and your accomplishments. Like, Thank where you. do you see um, the Mounted Wings group going in like the next five years?
1: Oh, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I'm a big dreamer. So, you know, I, I still want to make a nonprofit. I see it growing. Um, actually, so I named it Mounted Wings Group because I wanted to be able to give other people, other queer men, the opportunity and the space to come on board and be their own life coach, have their own business, do their own thing and, and be able to help other people, right? Yeah. And so I, I put group because I wanted I want the long term goal is for individuals to be able to come on board and have their own kind of clients that they manage and that they they have in their own space and their own identity. This under the umbrella of Mounted Wings group, knowing that the mission is always the same, to uplift to, re- to help people rediscover, to help people to leap, and to help people soar into their most authentic selves. Um, and so, you know, that's what I see happening. I, I see me bringing on other people who want to do the work, however they choose to do the work, and it's just great people who want to, you know, help uplift our community. And whatever that community is, you know, Black, queer, trans, um, gender non-conforming whatever that community is um and so i see that happening i also see you know it really doing something within the community so doing more like um social events and social things for the community and and really pouring back into the community more than just having people come in and have one-on-one sessions with me and so that's really what i want you know i've never thought myself to be um you know i do this work not with the intention of making money um my mentor told me a long time ago he said um never concern yourself with um money and with obtaining money he goes find a thing that you love and the thing that you can never go without doing and the thing that if you never got paid for it you would still do it because that's the thing that you love yeah he said, that's find the payoff that right there He said, "Find that thing, and what you will realize is that you will work so hard at perfecting that thing that that thing will begin to make the money for you." Um, But but I definitely—I mean, if I can make money in the process, I'm also not going to deny that. Okay, we're not (laughs) going to—we're not going to
0: turn down a check. Absolutely
1: not. Pay me—pay me what I'm worth. (laughs) All right.
0: That's it for part one. Tune in next week for part two.